0: Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and as we join our hearts in in prayer with our persecuted brothers and sisters, particularly focusing on Nigeria this year, Rebecca's story in the video has a lot to teach us about how to handle persecution. You know, the Christians of Nigeria have been living for more than eight years with the persecution from the radical Islamic group Boko Haram. You might recall back in 2014 the militant group kidnapped 276 girls from the Chabok school. As of March this year, 163 of those girls have escaped or were released. At least 13 died in captivity and nearly 100 girls remain unaccounted for. Earlier this year, a few months ago, Connie and I started reading their story in a book titled Bring Back Our Girls, the untold story of the global search for Nigeria's missing schoolgirls. And the authors, during an interview with Christianity Today, they were careful to point out the importance of these girls' faith and how it enabled them to endure the persecution of their captivity. Here's what the author said. They said, at times, it could be easy to adopt the facial hope that Nigeria's problem might be resolved by gradually secularizing its more than 210 million people. Yet, we found a different perspective in a group of young women who had faced unimaginable hardship and survived. Their faith provided twin anchors of identity and hope during a period when their captors were trying to erase both. It became the language of their resistance. So their faith became the language of their resistance. Ha, now if that, now that, 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 that raises some questions, that, and there's, there's, a question, there's some questions for us to consider. One is how? How? And I think understanding this can make the difference between turning your faith, turning, turning your back on Christianity, or thriving in suffering. And that's what we want to focus on for the next few minutes. Because our Nigerian, our Nigerian sisters were, were under tremendous and unimaginable persecution, enduring and thriving as believers, not merely despite their persecution, but in The persecution. So here's some thoughts. Persecution is something that must be processed in the light of God's truth. The whole counsel of God. Secondly, there, there is strength in the company of others who are suffering too. And you will only overcome the persecution if you have something of greater value that you can never lose that your heart is tethered to. And in the end, the pursuit of godliness and persecution work together to make you complete. So let's think about these things. So persecution, persecution must be processed in the light of God's truth. Did you notice that in our readings today that persecution happens to all who seek to live a godly, who, who seek to live a godly life, to all who who live by God's word? Does it say to live by God's word and seek and to desire to have a godly life? They're the same things. So in verse 161 of Psalm 119, where it says, Princes persecute me without cause but my heart stands in awe of your words. So there's a there's this battle between those who love the truth of God's word and those who don't. You know, the princes persecute without a cause. This means they chase, they pursue, they harass, but not according to anything lawful or truthful. It's government persecution. This princes, government persecution. That is sometimes in, and is often unjust, but it has no basis. It has no basis in truth. See, earlier, earlier in Psalm 119 and verse 150, the psalmist explains the evil purpose of the persecutors when he says, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. See, the reason, the reason persecutors persecute is because they are far from the law. And being far from the law, princes, governments, groups, individuals persecute without a cause. And why the law? Well, the law, the law is the covenant that God has made with his people. It's the covenant he's made with his people. And it's the contract that is to be between neighbors. And it, gives the na- it gave the nation of Israel its identity. It's the, well, it was the law that says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, Deuteronomy 6.5. It is the law that says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19, 34. You see, you become become a persecutor when you are far away from the Lord's law. And if this is true, then if you're suffering persecution, you have to process it in the light of where persecution comes from. A heart distanced from the law of love, that is the law of God. You did notice there in, those, in just those two verses of the law, what, 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 what it was calling us to. Love. Love. Love for God, love for our neighbor. So if you view persecution through the lens of God's word, that will change the way you respond to persecution, wouldn't it? So if you processed the persecution you have received in the light of God's truth, it will help you respond with grace informed by love of God and love of neighbor. Now you say, that sounds impossible. I'm not going to disagree with you. Yet, yeah, it is what the psalmist and the apostle Paul does. They interpret the things they suffer in the light of God's word. I stand in awe of your word. The prince persecute me, but I stand in awe of your word. It's why Paul would say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.14 and verse 15, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see... The sacred writings, that's the scripture, that's, that was, a, that was a, a, a phrase referring to the Old Testament, they, they, that they were able, they're able to make you wise in faith, wise to salvation. And Paul tells Timothy to keep on loving the truth. Keep on loving the truth you've learned, recalling from whom you learned them. Which leads us to the second thought, there, their strength in the company of others who are suffering too. See, Paul begins there in that text in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, in verse, verse 10. He begins with his example before Timothy. He talks about his suffering, his persecution, and, and, and having the Lord rescue him from all of them. And that is for Timothy. He said, the, and, and, and us. That is a source of strength for us to draw upon. It's similar, it's similar to, how, to an apprenticeship You know, the apprentice apprentice is with the master. The apprentice is learning from the master. The apprentice draws strength from that. When I was a a young preacher, having, yes, I'm confessing, I am (laughs) old. I I say that because it was nearly 50 years ago. Yes, yes. Yeah, you young people, you can process that in your mind. He's really old. Yeah. See, as as a young preacher having a sense of calling on my life, you, there there was this assistant pastor at Kevin Yaus at Cherryville Baptist Church there in Sumter, South Carolina. He was quite he was quite the expositor of God's word, and he took he took a group of us who were called to preach and started a class called the School of the Prophets. I learned the basics of breaking down a passage of scripture, discovering the big idea in the text, and drawing the points of the sermon out of what the text was saying historically, grammatically. He was the master. We were his apprentices. And several of us are still in the ministry today, but we drew strength from his example. And in some ways, I still draw strength from his example and Paul is Paul is telling Timothy like an apprentice learning from their master follow his example see So you process your persecution in the light of God's truth and find strength and find strength from the company of fellow believers. The Chabot girls survived because they were a community of suffering friends. Again, from the book, Bring Back Our Girls, the authors, Drew Henson and Joe Parkinson, write this. These schoolgirls, almost all Christians, had come of age in captivity To keep their friendships in faith, they had whispered prayers together at night or into cups of water and memorized Bible passages in secret at risk of beatings and torture. They had softly sung gospel songs, fortifying each other with a hymn from Chabok, we, the children of Israel, will not bow. Yeah, they fortified, they fortified each other See, secrecy, secrecy gives persecutors power. Secrecy, uh, yeah, if, yeah, persecution has power in being isolated. But if you have, if you have the sacred writings of Scripture, you're not alone. You're not alone. In the, in the halls of, of hallowed writ, there are multitudes of fellow sufferers who beckon you to stand strong. We're in the church of Jesus Christ, his body, one. That's not a statistic. It's a standing we have with Christ, hallelujah. Through our prayers before the throne of God, we can hold up our brothers and sisters praying for their strength to endure. As long as there are praying Christians around the world rebecca and the chabak girls are not alone and if you're being persecuted you're not alone you're not alone you can take you can take strength from your brothers and sisters who are subject to persecution also so, processing persecution in the light of God's truth and finding strength in the company of fellow sufferers reveals that your heart is tethered to something of greater value that you can never lose. Rebecca in the video, she lost her husband and her son. The Chabot girls, they, they lost their innocence, they lost their families. And you know that some of them, when they returned, when they returned back to, to their families, they, their families struggled to accept them. How did they endure? They had something that they could not lose. It was worth greater value than what the persecution took away from them. Leah Cherubu is another, she's a young girl who was taken by Boko Haram from a different school and, and, and along with 100 other girls, more than 100 girls were taken. But then they were released, but all but Leah. And her father, Nada Cherubu, he tells why, and this was from the testimony of one of the girls. He says that Boko Haram insurgents decided not to release my daughter because she refused to denounce Christ. I am happy for that. Even though, as a father, I wish she had returned home as the rest, but God is in control. What what Leah had that was more valuable to her and could not be taken away is Christ. What Nada Sheraboo had that was more valuable to him and could not be taken away is Christ? See, that's what the apostle affirms when he to us when he writes. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the question is: Do you value? Do you value being in Christ? Be assured, if that's the, if your answer to that question is yes, be assured that. He can never be taken from you. You recall the story in Luke chapter 10 where Martha and Mary, Jesus comes to their house along with the disciples. Mary, Martha's busy doing more than, than what was needed. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. I know some of you probably wonder, why well, Martha really should have been in there. Mary should have been in there helping. Yeah. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus tells Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, in processing persecution in the light of God's truth while finding strength in the company of fellow sufferers, you overcome persecution when your heart is tethered to someone of greater value that you can never lose. Jesus Christ is that someone. You might ask, how do you know how do i know that during persecution i won't lose him what if i deny him yeah and that's that's a that's a fair question i mean that's a, that's a, that's a good question because in, and 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 yes we we should process we should process that because in a sense in a, in a, every every sin that you and i commit is in a sense a denial of christ so that so that's a that's a fair question. And if our standing with God depends on our ability to stay faithful, not one of us would last. He wouldn't make it 30 seconds, or in some cases, two. Psalm 89 tells us this. In Psalm 89, verses 33 through 34, it's in the context of of God talking to his people, and he's saying, even if his people sins, that's what those previous verses are saying, even if his people sin and they transgress the, the covenant, this is what God says. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or after the word that went forth from my, or alter the word after that went forth from my lips. You see what God is saying? Hey, He's not waiting on us to be faithful. He knows us. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his covenant. And if God, who has chosen you before the foundation of the world, has given you the standing of not guilty in Christ, he will not be false to his faithfulness. that's why John 1.9 is so important. And if Christ died on the cross for your sins before you were born, do you think there is something that you can do now or in the future that will change his love for you? see, you're still, you know, the, the trouble with that question is you, that, that you're still thinking salvation is something you did, it's something you earned. That salvation, it's your work record. Friends, rest, rest in the work record of Christ. Because Christ's death on our behalf is the ultimate persecution. As he certainly processed his death in the light of God's truth. He would say this to his disciples in John 15 as he's he's headed toward the cross. And he knows where he's going. He knows what's about to happen. But he says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. You know, you know that he will never leave you. You're always in his company because on the cross he was left by his friends. He said, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, Matthew 26, 31. But when he rises from the dead and ascends to heaven, he comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And behold, I am with you. Always, hallelujah, to the end of the age. You have his company forever. See, Jesus, even before his death on the cross, had something more valuable that he knew could never be taken away. The Father's love. As he prays in John 17, he prays, Father... I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He knew that the Father's love could never be taken away from him. Do you see what Christ does on the cross? That he processes the anger of God so that the persecution he suffers on the cross on our behalf comes to us as mercy. Hallelujah. Oh yeah, how can you keep from singing? Yeah. yeah, it comes to us as mercy. He gets the wrath so we can experience the grace. How else could he say from the cross? Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. And if Christ did all of this for you to bring you to himself, you can look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and be assured you can never lose him. And Paul would write these words, the Spirit speaking through him. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or disaster, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, Christians are distinguished from the evil people and the imposters by these truths. furthermore, Christians are made complete. They have everything, they're furnished with everything in them while the evil people and impostors go from bad towards deceiving and being deceived. You see, our persecuted brothers and sisters are learning these things as they suffer for Christ. And you and I, even though we may not suffer to the degree they're suffering, can apply these principles to our lives so that we process our suffering and pain. And it doesn't, it's not just necessarily suffering. Could, I mean, it could be anything. It could be anger. It could be, it could be unforgiveness. But you can use these principles to process that in the light of God's truth, drawing strength from the company of others, of fellow sufferers while tethering our hearts to someone of greater value that we can never lose, knowing that the end of the pursuit of a godly life, and the persecution that comes works to make us complete. Well, let's pray. But as we pray, we're responding to the word of God. We're, we'll pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. There's a guide in your order of worship. And it's also going to be projected uh, to, to follow along. So I'm going to read, I'll, I'll, I'll be the leader, I will, I will read the portion describing what to pray for, and you will pray together, reading the prayer, saying, Lord, we pray. Christians, living on the world's most dangerous frontier mission fields, cherish God's word. Persecutors around the world are threatened by God's word and seek to destroy or remove Bibles in order to discourage the witness of Christians. Placing a Bible in the hands of every believer living on the world's most dangerous and difficult frontier mission fields will encourage them to be bold witnesses for Christ. Our prayer today. Heavenly Father, inspire us through to cherish your word. May we serve you boldly so that others may be filled with the knowledge of your glory. Amen. Amen.